0: Okay, so like Kevin said, uh, my name is Chandler Donigan. I'm a senior here, I know. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I know most of juniors and sophomores, but got married during the summer, so I haven't been in the college ministry as much, and I see a lot of faces that I don't know, so that's who I am. Um, graduating in December, like I said, I'll be going to Southeastern Seminary there to hopefully get to do this quite a bit more often. Um, if you want to be in your Bibles, turning to James 3. That's where we're going to be, James three thirteen through 18. And while you're getting there, I'm just going to pray for us one more time before we go to the Lord. God, you are good. You have put eternity on the hearts of man. And Lord God, we we know that as you are our creator and our sustainer, that we have not lived up to your standards. Um, Lord God, and yet we try to set other standards for us. We try to take on the standards that other people try to put on us, Lord God. But all we know is that we can't live up um, to those. But Lord God, we know that you have. Um, Lord God, your Son, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh, lived the life that we could not live, and has attributed it to us, has died the death that we deserved. And the tomb's empty. And that's why we have hope. And Lord God, it's in that hope that we come before you today, Lord God. Would you get me out of the way that your word would be clear? Lord God, it is inerrant, it is perfect, and it is right on all things that it speaks. Lord God, it is to to it that we go. In your name I pray. Amen. And, uh, okay, so like Kevin said, uh, we have been in the Cross Culture Series. Got the sweet emblem there. Uh, We took a break last week, obviously because of the hurricane. Um, But so far, we've been looking at things that we encounter each and every day, and we've been looking at them through the lens of the cross. We looked at, first, fear and anxiety, which we've often said is the thing that we're going to struggle with the most because we are thinking all the time. Um, Gossip and slander was second, and it was second that we most struggle with only because we're not talking all the time. Um, But we are thinking, like I said already. Um, And then we looked at distraction primarily with this guy right here. Um, Then we took a break, and we looked at relationships, and then we looked at bitterness, hurt, and anger. Um, And tonight we come to the topic of jealousy and self-image. Um, If you're taking notes, that's going to be the title um, of the message tonight. Um, And the most difficult part for preparing the sermon, honestly, i just thought about it more and more as as Joe was contacting me the other day and was asking me songs to sing for jealousy. And I had a problem thinking of songs that we sang about jealousy. I had a problem thinking about all the times that I think about jealousy because I think often we we cover it with its consequences. So we say we have a self-image problem. We say that we have... um, we think too highly of ourselves. We think too lowly of ourselves. But what it really is and what it really boils down to is jealousy. Um, and so instead of looking at self-image um, as the consequence that it is, um, tonight we're going to spend most of our time looking at jealousy. Um, and so we pray, and I pray, I've been praying for days, that we would remove the blinders from ourselves, that God would remove our blinders um, more so, and that we would be able to see jealousy for what it is and approach it as it is and look at it biblically and what God's Word has to say. Um, so... As again, what we've been looking at in cross-culture, we've been putting our hope um, and identity in Christ Jesus. Our identity is not in our self-image. Um, and we ought to be a unique culture because our culture is in Christ. Um, we are the image of his character in the world. I was just in the youth, and they were they were asking me, what in the world does aroma of Christ mean? Um, and so we, we talked through that. I've recently been meditating on the resurrection. You probably heard that in my prayer. It's just... It's astounding that, that there are thousands of religions in the world, but there are only one empty tomb, and yet it seems that we are not the culture that we ought to be for the world. So the world ends up going to other places for that. ends up going to the sexual revolution. Ends up going, we end up just partnering with people that look like us. We end up just building neighborhoods that are of the people of the same socioeconomic class. Our culture is ever-dividing, and it's not stopping And yet there is unity in the cross. And that is the message that we have to provide to the world. His very spirit is within us. And so we ought to be a people that are accountable to one another. That are honest with one another. That are open. And Kevin's buzzword that I love so much. We should be unshockable. When we come to one another, we, we know what's in our hearts. So when someone comes to us and says, this is what's going on in my life, we shouldn't say gasp and say, oh my gosh, we should say me too. Me too. I once heard a story of Russell Moore was talking in, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, he was saying, this this student had come to him for counseling, and he had said, listen, um, if you could could show me that Jesus's body was really in the grave, I'd go out and sleep with whoever I wanted to. And Russell Moore said, me too. Me too. Because that sin is in every single one of our hearts, but the reason that we have hope and the reason that we have changed lives is because Jesus has risen from the dead. He is ruling and reigning, and he is coming again. And it's to that hope that we look. And we've been looking at the Heidelberg Catechism from the 1500s, a little bit of ancient wisdom. And we've been looking at the question, how are we right with God? And so we've been looking at this answer and we've been reading it together. So if y'all would read this with me. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them And even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept the gift of God with a believing heart. Jealousy is a far-reaching issue primarily because sin is a primarily far-reaching issue. We all struggle with self-image because we all struggle with jealousy. I came here my freshman year with three goals leaving Auburn University. I wanted a high-paying job. I wanted a job that gave me power. And I wanted a beautiful wife. I got the third one by the grace of God. She's right there. Um, but the other two, God, removed those desires from my heart, and I, I I distinctly remember, um, my freshman roommate was Caleb Booker, you all probably know him already, I don't think he needs an introduction, but, uh, but he was talking to me, and he, he was coming, I was, I was fighting for power, and for, and for eventual high-paying money, um, and he looked at me, he said, Chandler, you're, you're not being a good friend, you're not living a life that is displaying the cross and the truth of Jesus, And and I I had the audacity to turn to him, and I said, you don't understand. Um, My job here is to be better than every single person that's here so that when people are looking to hire people, they see that I'm the best. Those words came out of my mouth, and I was being dead honest. That's what was in my heart. And praise God that that has gotten just thrown out, and it it is no more in there. But we constantly believe others to be perfect, and then our jealousy turns into perfectionism. It hinders discipleship and intentional relationships. So like I've been saying, self-image is the consequence of jealousy. And so we're going to approach the topic of jealousy tonight. This is the summary of the message, if you want to write this down. Jealousy, fueled by selfish ambition, is a sinful, self-justifying distortion of a right desire to pursue God's glory above all things. I'll read that one more time, and so you also have time to write it down. Jealousy fueled by selfish ambition is a sinful, self-justifying distortion of a right desire to pursue God's glory above all things. And as you saw on the last slide, we're going to be in James 3, like I already said as well, verses 13 through 18. This is James writing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this is where we're going. This is where this is our roadmap. These are the three things that jealousy does. Jealousy divides, jealousy destroys, and jealousy distorts. We're first going to be looking at jealousy divides in verses 13 through 14. James opens up this passage by asking a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is James? He's the leader of the the New Testament church in Jerusalem. And he's asking this question, who is wise and understanding among you? He is calling out those from within his people and from within the New Testament church who are walking in wisdom. He then goes on to say, But his good conduct, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So he asks the question first, who is wise? And then he goes straight to jealousy. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, he is using jealousy to divide between the wise and the unwise. If you've read James, you know this. He, he inherently does this already with works and, just, and salvation. He says, we're not, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But if you don't have works, your faith does not exist that you claim to have. And in the same way, he's doing it with jealousy right now. If you, you might claim to be wise. You might claim to be walking in wisdom. But if your heart is overcome with jealousy, you are not walking in wisdom. James knows that without the wisdom from above, the church has no hope of living out its calling in Christ Jesus. And our actions reveal whether we're walking in wisdom or not. He makes the, the direct connection. Don't miss that. Wisdom, whether we're in wisdom or not, is attached to jealousy. Okay, if, if, if wisdom is attached to jealousy, what, what is true biblical wisdom? How do we go even, even a level below that? Turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs 9.10. And here we're going to see that not only is he dividing between wise and unwise, he's dividing between those who fear God and those who fear man. This is Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So logically think through that with me. Jealousy is attached to wisdom. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, is based on whether or not we are fearing God or we are fearing man. The Word of God is clear that true wisdom not only comes from God, it is focused and centered on God, and it is revealed by how we live our life for God. This is a quote from perhaps one of the best books ever written outside the Bible, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. The kind of wisdom that God waits to give to those who ask Him is a wisdom that will bind us to Himself, a wisdom that will find expression in a spirit of faith, and a life of faithfulness. That's the wisdom that we're pursuing. And this radically changes the way that we view one another. Primarily in our jealous tendencies. This is Jeremiah speaking. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. This is Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, for those of you taking notes. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Those people around us no longer become someone to compare ourselves to, to place ourselves above. They become our brothers and sisters in Christ, and God becomes who we ought to be reigning in our hearts. So what's on the flip side of this coin? If, we, if we're fearing God or fearing man, we've seen what fearing God looks like. What happens if we fear man? Go to Proverbs twenty nine, twenty five. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fearing man is one big, giant trap that we all far too often fall into. Like I already said, we end up comparing ourselves to others. Others become the standard to which we try to live up to, focused on how we measure up not only that, but it drives a wedge between our communion with God and our relationship with one another. And that's where we're going next. Jealousy destroys. Not only does it show the condition of our heart, the condition of our mind, just like actions do where we are in relation to Christ. But jealousy destroys. And first, it primarily destroys our communion with God. In verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Demonic. If you thought that the word destroys was maybe a little harsh, I think James takes it to the next level. And he's very clear on what he's doing here with these three words. He's saying this is not what the people of God ought to be centered on. Look at the three words he uses. Earthly. What's the opposite of earthly? Heavenly. Unspiritual, as opposed to spiritual. Demonic, as opposed to angelic or divine. Jealousy fueled by selfish ambition is not to be found within the people of God. So it reveals our hearts, it reveals where our minds are, it destroys our communion with God, and it destroys our fellowship with one another. We're often asking ourselves what the consequences of, what of, our, what of our actions, words, and thoughts will be. We don't have to ask that question for too long before James answers it in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What does he mean by this? I- I think in part, James looked around him and saw what the consequences of jealousy were. And he saw that it's people placing themselves above other people in their minds. And then it destroys the gospel-centered community within the people of Christ. And this is not a new idea. This, we, we did not create elevating ourselves above other people. This was at the very beginning of time. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians 4.6. And we see it in the New Testament church here. That's 1 Corinthians 4 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. When I was reading a commentary about what this verse was talking about, it was saying, and I I see this in my own heart sometimes, the the people in the Corinthian church were using their discipleship lineage to put themselves above one another. They were saying, "I, I heard it straight from Paul. I heard it straight from Apollos. I don't know where you heard the gospel, but that places me here and you here. It's the same gospel. And the fact that the people of God would be putting ourselves above one another does not reconcile with any of Scripture. And yet the problem is, I think, well, I talked about the beginning with the blinders that we have on our eyes. Modern culture continues to tell us that our problems stem from a lack of self-confidence. That the problem is that we don't think highly of ourselves enough. And if you thought better of yourself, you wouldn't be doing those things. And the, the problem with that is, first, it, it directly contradicts Scripture. And second, it makes us unable to rebuke those actions. Because what are you going to tell somebody who has too low of a self-image of themselves? Like, pick yourselves up by your bootstraps? No, like, that's that's how they got there in the first place, is by failing and not recognizing that in our failure we can look to a wonderful Savior. Timothy Keller says, and I think he captures this so well, a superiority complex and an inferiority complex are basically the same. They are both results of being overinflated. The person with the superiority complex is overinflated and is in danger of being deflated. The person with the inferiority complex is deflated already. To be deflated means you were previously inflated. What, do we see here, what is Timothy Keller trying to tell us here? First off, high, high self-esteem is not to be the, the goal to which we strive. And second, the answer to low self-esteem is not high self-esteem. It's not gaining what you don't have. Because if you are in Christ, there is nothing more to gain. And we see this in the world. People are constantly striving, and they are never satisfied outside of the gospel. This is, this is Madonna talking to Vogue magazine. I am quoting Madonna, yes. She said this to Vogue. I push past one spell of fearing mediocrity and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. That is depressing. And I'm sure Madonna would love to hear this good news. That's coming up next. We need to realize that not only do we not set our own standards, the standards have already been set for us. Not only do we not live up to our own self-standards and the standards of others, but the standards that God has set for us have already been lived up to in Christ. And this is where primarily... Jealousy has become a distraction because it takes our eyes off of God. And that's our last point for this evening, is jealousy distorts. In verse 17 of James 3, James says this, But the wisdom from above that's in contradiction to the wisdom that we've been talking about that's based on selfish ambition and jealousy is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere i don't know about you guys but those those sound like attributes of god because i don't know if you thought of this when you saw that the, the title was jealousy and self-image i to be honest ask the question a little bit after already looking at this. But God is described as jealous in the Bible. So jealousy can't be inherently wrong. The problem is that we've gotten a distortion of godly, righteous jealousy. And the, the question we have to ask here is are we talking about jealousy for something or jealousy of something? Are Are we looking at Jealousy of something, which is in our worldly selfish ambition where we're saying, that person has that, I inherently believe that I'm better than them, therefore I deserve to have that thing. Or, jealousy for something or or someone is not centered on selfishness, but is centered on love for another and the bond that you share. We We most often see this displayed in the context of marriage. You hear a husband say, I'm jealous for my wife. Or a wife say, I'm jealous for my husband. Well, what in the world does that mean? Focus on the family had a wonderful article on this. And they had four points of what jealousy for something based in love and not selfishness looks like, practically. For me to desire someone for myself. It shows your commitment to the relationship, number one. Number two, it protects your marriage, by safeguarding the relationship against evil attacks. Number three, it deepens your openness with each other, and it makes you accountable through honest communication. And then fourth, it helps you confront major threats to your marriage and heed them off before they become major problems. Do we not want that in our relationship with God? Do we not want to show our commitment to our relationship with God by being jealous for Him and for His glory and desiring Him above all things? Do we not want to protect our relationship by safeguarding it against evil attacks? Do we not want to deepen our openness with God? And do we not want to confront major threats in our communion with God and heed them off before they become major problems? That's what godly, righteous jealousy looks like. In desiring God above all things, which we see described throughout all of Scripture, that's what we get. But instead, we have made it self-centered and we have become jealous of people and of other things. And then second, it distorts our gospel witness. So not only have we had the, the condition of our hearts revealed, not only has it destroyed our communion with God and our relationship with one another. It distorts jealousy within the Godhead and how we ought to be jealous for Him and for His glory. But it distorts our gospel witness. In verse 18 of James 3, where we've been this evening, it says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. how can we elevate ourselves above others when we think about our former depravity before we had Christ? You remember the the quote I was just reading, superiority and inferiority inferiority complexes are both centered on the same thing, self-centeredness and placing ourselves above others. But the biblical worldview breaks this down from the very beginning. Not only are we fallen in Adam, but we each fell ourselves. We are doubly sinful. We are in no way righteous, and we have no way of reaching after God without Him working in our hearts first. And then on the flip side of that, how can we be elevated? How can we boost ourselves up when we think of our former depravity? But how can we boost ourselves up when we think of our present reality in Christ? Not only could we not save ourselves from our own sins and make ourselves right with God, but we couldn't live a godly life without the Holy Spirit inside of us. A biblical worldview, again, breaks this down from the very, very beginning. So we've looked at jealousy. James 3. James, goodness gracious. James 3, 13 through 18. We saw that it showed the condition of our hearts. That it destroyed our communion and community with each other and God. And it distracts from righteous jealousy, distorts, excuse me, righteous jealousy and the gospel. So practically, what does this look like? What are we going to do when we leave this place at night? We need to realize, first off, that we're blind to our own jealousy. That we don't just have a self-image problem. We then need to go pray for God to show us where jealousy reigns in our hearts and our minds. And, and if you're blind to that as well, which most of us are, we need to pray and we need to look toward, look toward the relationships that seem to be on rocky ground. Because more often than not, relationships that are on rocky ground are because one of you is jealous of another or one of you has placed yourself above another. And it's destroying your community with one another. This is what we ought to be praying for. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talks about the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. We need to stop thinking about ourselves as much and start thinking about the glory of God and how we ought to be spurring one another's on. Next, we need to pray for God to give us a greater desire for His glory above all things among the nations. And then, lastly, this goes right along with cross culture. We need to pray for gospel community within Lakeview and within all of Christ's church. That would be a community that the world craves, that the world desires. That they see us speaking of a Savior and they don't just see us speaking of something we learned in Sunday school, but something they see us living out each and every day. We need to be a community that, if we're standing on the silver platform, we're carrying the person on the gold platform off on our shoulders because we're running for the same stinking flag. We're carrying the banner of Christ. And perhaps the world would see that our sin has been nailed to the cross, that we're walking a new life with Christ, and that we're encouraging one another to faith and good works, living as we ought, as the light of the world. And you're going to get a chance to do all of those things that I just talked about. So what we're going to do is we're going to break up into groups of no more than five, and we're going to do those things. So if you didn't get those, I'll say them one more time. Pray for the blinders to be removed. Number one. Pray for God to show you where jealousy reigns in your heart and your mind. He will likely show you somewhere where you're struggling with a self-image issue or where community with Him or where with others has been on rocky ground. We're then going to pray for God to give us a greater desire for his glory among the nations. And then we're going to pray for gospel community within Lakeview and within all of Christ's church that we would be a community that the world craves. So I'm going to pray for us and then we can go into that time of prayer with groups of no more than five. God, you are good, and we thank you for your word. Lord God, I know that I didn't say all the things I wanted to say, and I probably said more than I should, but Lord God, we thank you for your clear, inerrant, perfect word and how it perfectly describes that we ought to be a people walking in fear of you, which is in direct contrast to To the wisdom, the foolishness of the world, which is centered on self and on jealousy. And that, Lord God, where we find ourselves elevated above others, where we find ourselves with a deflated self image, Lord God, we know that we are inherently looking to ourselves for self justification. Lord God, where we ought to be looking is you. We thank you that your word is true. We know it's true because not only does the Holy Spirit testify to it through the word, the highest authority, but Lord God, we find you in it. Perfect, glorious, beautiful. So Lord God, during this prayer time, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our hearts to desire gospel community that radically changes our spheres of influence. Here in Auburn, and throughout the world. It's in your name I pray. Amen.